Okay. So the three headings are break up, break out, and break in. And if you've been following those notes, you might have a little inkling of where those headings fit in. I'd like to read to you first of all, and I'm reading from the message because I think it just really brings um, the story alive, and I've just dropped bits of paper everywhere. Right, and the first little part that I want to read to you is from Acts 15. And it's the few verses right at the end. Paul and Barnabas stayed on in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of God, but they weren't alone. There were a number of teachers and preachers at that time in Antioch. After a few days of this, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit all our friends in each of the towns where we preach the word of God. Let's see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John along, the John nicknamed Mark. But Paul wouldn't have him. He was about to take along a quitter who, as soon as the going got tough, had jumped ship on them in Pamphylia. Tempers flared. And they ended up going their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose silence and offered up by their friends to the grace of the master, went to Syria and Cilicia to build up muscle and sinew in those congregations. I love that. Tempers flared. How honest is the word of God? It doesn't make people into these perfect persons that we think they should be. They had a big fallout, basically. Right, in whichever version you read it in, they have sharp words, sharp disagreements, and I think it was quite a big Barney. Now, Barnabas, the name means son of encouragement, and I was thinking, I don't know this at all, but when you say a bit of a Barney, is it related to this when they actually had a fallout? I'm not sure, but they certainly had a bit of a Barney. Two great preachers. So they fell out, whether to take Mark with them on the next step of the journey. And this disagreement caused the two great preachers to form two teams, opening up two missionary endeavours instead of one. And God works even through conflict and disagreements. And, you know, I think that's something we've really got to learn about breakup. Christians don't always agree, but there can be a resolution. Problems can be resolved by agreeing to disagree and allow God to do his will. All of you know what sumo wrestlers look like, I presume. It is the most scary sport. I do not understand it. But sumo is also used as an acronym for shut up and move on. It's a training program that's been put together by a Christian guy, but he does it in schools and with educationalists and lots of other organisations. And basically, he says, when you've got this problem between two people, it comes to the point where you need to resolve it, shut up and move on. And I think that is a brilliant thing. Really, it's what that passage teaches us. They had this huge disagreement, but they shut up. And they moved on. 
I do this a lot with the children at school. When they've had a problem and a fallout, um, we sit down together and we talk about the problem. Ask how serious it is on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being death. And I seem to have no concept that 9 might actually be quite serious. You know, nobody's been killed. So very often we might have a 9. Um, sometimes a 2 or 3 or a 5 or 6. So we look at that. How serious is this problem? Then we talk about, in six months' time, how important will it be then? Like very often we've had a big holiday and I said, won't be important at all. So then we say, can we shut up and move on? Can we draw a line under it, you know, and be the people we want to be? And they'll usually agree and high-five one another. And then they can move on. The problem is, isn't it, though, when we hold on to things and we don't let go of them and we're still talking about things that have hurt us that have happened in the past. And I think as grown-ups and Christians, we need to learn to sumo just as Paul and Barnabas did. Because the problem is, if we don't do that, if we don't move on, if we don't draw a line under it, if we don't agree to disagree, then what creeps in is destructive emotions into our lives. And I think possibly the worst of those is bitterness. And I'm sure all of you will know someone who is clinging to something that has happened in the past and instead of letting go, they hold on to it, they keep bringing it up. And what does it do? It hurts them, it fills them with these negative emotions. If you look in the dictionary, the synonyms for bitterness, and I'm sure you can identify with some of these, resentment, rancor, indignation, grudge, spite, sullenness, sourness, moroseness, curlishness, petulance, pique, and peevishness. And I know people who have walked into our church and because of things that have happened here in the past or in their life with other Christians, they come in with that attitude. And I think it probably ranks in my book with jealousy, two of the most destructive emotions. Right, Paul and Barnabas had these big disagreements. Right, but they drew a line under it and they moved on in different ways, and God used both of them in his work to bless them. Can you sumo when there's a breakup? The next one, break out. Fantastic story. I'm going to read it to you again from the... I have quite a pile of things on the floor here when I've finished falling out of my Bible. I'm going to read it to you again from the message. Now, this is a lot longer story, but you need to really listen to it. It is an amazing story of how God intervenes. And it's headed up in Acts 16 in the Message Bible. Beat up and thrown in jail. One day, on our way to the place of prayer, a slave girl ran into us. She was a psychic and with her fortune telling made a lot of money for the people who owned her. Right, so have you got the picture of this girl? Right, psychic, owned and used by men to make money. She started following Paul around, calling everyone's attention to us by yelling out, 
These men are working for the Most High God. They're laying out the road of salvation for you. She did this for a number of days until Paul, finally fed up with her, turned and commanded the spirit that possessed her, out. In the name of Jesus Christ, get out of her. And it was gone, just like that. When her owners saw that their lucrative little business was suddenly bankrupt, they went after Paul and Silas, roughed them up and dragged them into the market square. Then the police arrested them and pulled them into a court with the accusation, these men are disturbing the peace. Dangerous Jewish agitators subverting our Roman law and order. By this time, the crowd had turned into a restless mob out for blood. The judges went along with the mob, had Paul and Silas' clothes ripped off and ordered a public beating. After beating them black and blue, they threw them into jail, telling the jailkeeper to put them under heavy guard so there would be no chance of escape. He did just that. Threw them into the maximum security cell in the jail and clamped leg irons on them. About midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. Now, you know, I was thinking when we were singing those worship songs that we shared together today, Paul and Silas could have been singing those. They would have been words that were so applicable in their situation. You know, in the cell, bound. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears then, without warning. We've even had this word uh, in our songs, a huge earthquake jailhouse tottered, every door flew open, all the prisoners were loose. Startled from sleep, the jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring he was good as dead anyway, when Paul stopped him. Don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody's run away. The jailer got a torch and ran inside. Badly shaken, he collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. He led them out of the jail and asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved, to really live? They said, put your entire trust in the Master Jesus. Then you live as you were meant to live, and everyone in your house included. They went on to spell out in detail the story of the Master. The entire family got in on this part. They never did get to bed that night. The jailer made them feel at home dressed their wounds, and then he couldn't wait till morning. He was baptized. He and everyone in his house, there in his home, he had food set out for a festive meal. It was a night to remember. He and his entire family had put their trust in God. Everyone in the house was in on the celebration. At daybreak, the court judges send officers with the instructions, release these men. The jailer gave Paul the message. The judges sent word that you're free to go on your way. Congratulations, go in peace. But Paul wouldn't budge. He told the officers, they beat us up in public and threw us in jail, Roman citizens in good standing, and now they want us to get out of the way on the sly without anyone knowing, nothing doing. If they want us out of here, let them come themselves and lead us out in broad daylight. When the officers reported this, the judges panicked. They had no idea that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. 
And of course, as Roman citizens, they had privileges, didn't they? They hurried over and apologised personally, escorted them from the jail and then asked them if they wouldn't please leave the city. Walking out of the jail, Paul and Silas went straight to Lydia's house, saw their friends again, encouraged them in the faith, and only then went on their way. What a great account, you know, of what God did. Break out. What would our instincts instincts be? I think as soon as the doors, however they were on those cells, were open, (laughs) we'd have legged it. I have to be quite honest. We would have wanted to escape. Paul and Silas, who had committed no crime, were put in stocks, their legs bound, it says leg irons in some, but these facilities were designed for holding the most dangerous prisoners in absolute security. I'd say not just put in, they were put in the most secure place. And despite this horrendous situation, they'd been beaten up, they were black and blue, it says they praised God, praying and singing as the other prisoners listened. And this tells me that no matter what our circumstances, we should praise God. Others may come to Jesus because of our example. And you know, this prison would have been an absolutely vile place. Did a bit of research on the internet, and a lot of these prisons were underground. So all the rubbish and the filth from the streets, above from the animals, would have, have sunk down in there. They were locked in their cells. There wasn't toilet facilities. Can you imagine the stink, the wee and the poo everywhere? You know, they might have been weed on by other prisoners. They were underground. It was the most horrendous place to be. I have been in and out of prison more times than I can recall. Obviously, they let me out because we were going in to share with prisoners, uh, to sing to them, um, to talk to them, to witness to them. But when those doors shut behind you, the huge doors... That's quite a scary experience, even when you knew you were just going in to visit. They clanged shut behind you. Very often, um, we'd be searched to make sure we weren't taking anything in there. Uh, We'd been into Winston Green, um, Stafford, numerous times, as well as some other institutions. And the conditions, although very basic, were nothing like that. That place would have been absolutely vile. What would you have done? You know, in circumstances like this, would you have legged it? Would you have run away? Would you have had the courage, like Paul and Silas, to sit there and sing and praise and worship God? Now, what an example for us. And in Thessalonians, Paul, when he's writing, takes up the theme, pleading with the Christians in Thessalonians to give thanks in all circumstances. And no one knew this better than Paul. He'd been rejected, ridiculed, persecuted and imprisoned for his faith. Now Paul wasn't asking us to give things, give thanks for bad things 
that happen, but rather to give thanks in every circumstance, whether it's good or bad. God may not take away the trying circumstance, but he's constantly, constantly at work in them. As someone once put it, happiness depends on happenings, joy depends on Jesus. And Paul and Silas knew Jesus, they loved him, and even in this dreadful situation, they could praise him. Paul often prayed through seemingly hopeless situations. We picked this up from all the letters that he wrote, as well as the story in Acts. And Paul gave thanks even before things started to improve. You know, he was intent on worshipping God. The knowledge that God was in control enabled him oftentimes to find contentment in the midst of chaos. He wrote to the church in Philippi, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And I'm reminded of that pastor, and I've shared this with you before, um, who was imprisoned. And this is not that long ago. You can look it up. Um, He was in a prison camp because of his faith. He got the job of sorting out all the sewage, right? Great big tanks full of all the stench and stink um, from the camp. But there he was left alone because none of the prison guards wanted to come and see him because it was such a, a vile place. And standing, you know, to his waist in all that mess, he praised God and he said he had the most wonderful times of worship there. What do we do when we're in a mess, when things are tough? Do we start the blame game? Or do we worship God? On to the guard. Now, being a prison guard was not an appealing job, and it was often given to the poorest of the soldiers. It's not quite the same as it is over here. Some of the guards were cruel, And prisoners, uh, particularly those that weren't Roman, were defenceless. And under Roman law, and I've only found this out since I've been looking at this, under Roman law, if a prisoner escaped, the guard was executed. So that helps you understand why, when he saw what had happened after the earthquake and all the, the doors to the cells were open, that he drew his sword And he thought it was better to kill himself because he knew what would happen anyway. So can you understand why such an impression was made on him by Paul and Silas and the others as they they stayed there and they worshipped God? Break out. When times get tough, and we have it so easy, don't we? You know, we, we can find any excuse for not doing God's work, you know, for not being in church, the slightest thing. Let's take an example from Paul and Silas in trouble and in difficulty, in incredible difficulty. They were able to praise God. They broke out into praise. And finally, so have you got it? You break up, break out, and break in. I'm going to highlight, really, because for me, it just really spoke volumes to me. Um, Chapter 21, verse 13b, Paul said, For I am ready 
not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but also to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. You know, so many obstacles were put in his way on this journey. He believed God had spoken to him by the Holy Spirit, told him very clearly that he'd got to go to Jerusalem. Friends, Christians, prophets said, no, don't go, it's too dangerous. I'll read what John puts in here. Despite all the warnings he is receiving, Paul takes his commitment to Jesus seriously. He won't be moved from what he believed God had called him to do. This firm foundation was set when Paul had a personal experience of God's power and truth. Paul knew that he could trust God. What holds you back from the courageous faith and obedience that Paul shows? Pray that God will continue to guide you and make you brave. We have it so easy. And you know what's been on my heart over the last weeks and months about those Christians who have lost their lives just for having a faith. They have stood up. They have been brave. They've been prepared to to be counted for their faith. We give up over the the slightest thing. Paul had to break in through all those difficult things. Just put a picture of flying glass there, um, which just reminds me of having to break in through something that's really solid and it appears you can't get through, especially if it's toughened glass, and you have to work hard at it. There is no easy way to break in. You will meet so many obstacles Are you prepared to break in to do what God has called you to do? If you're not sure about that calling, if you don't know him, then perhaps that's something you need to consider too today. You know, what a reputation those early Christians had. The power of the gospel revolutionized lives, broke down social barriers opened prison doors, caused people to care deeply for one another and stirred them to worship God. Our world needs to be turned upside down, to be transformed. You only have to watch the news and the hatred and the bitterness in the world. It breaks your heart. It certainly breaks my heart and I just... I really pray that I don't become immune to that, that it's just another story on the telly. I was horrified yesterday to watch those scenes in Srebrenica. I don't know if anybody caught that. Um, The president um, from somewhere was there. Uh, They were trying to have a remembrance time and bottles were hurled at him, abuse thrown at him. The imam said this wasn't what this was all about. You know, the Muslims that were there, um, that really honoured their God, didn't want that. And it breaks your heart to see what people are doing to people and the lives that have been lost. Our world needs to be turned upside down to be transformed. We need to have that passion uh, that those early Christians had. The gospel doesn't merely improve programs and encourage good conduct. It dramatically changes lives. Take courage and ask God how you can spread the good news 
hearts in these days more than any. We need to stand up and we need to share the good news of the love of God and salvation. And as you do this, you may not receive much attention. doesn't matter really, does it? You're doing what God has asked you to do, to share the good news. And in fact, you might only receive grief and aggro for what you're doing for him. That shouldn't matter. Think what Paul went through. You know, this amazing man of God. And you can hardly believe he didn't give up because he went through so much. I know it was over a long period of time and it's sort of told um, consecutively in Acts. It was over a long time, but he went through so much and he never, ever gave up. So you might only receive grief for your service for Jesus, but God wants to use you. And lives will be changed because of your courage and faithfulness if you prepare to break in, battle the obstacles that you might find. So I just pray that, you know, you'll take those to heart. Think of those actions that, in terms of breakup, draw a line under it. Agree to disagree and let God work his will. Break out when it's tough, when the circumstances seem overwhelming. Worship and praise and trust God and break in. Now work hard to do the things that God has called you to do and for each of us he has called us to love. That's his second greatest commandment, isn't it? First to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, body, and then to love others as we love ourselves. Let's do that for his name's sake and allow lives to be changed because of your courage and your faithfulness. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you for the stories that are recorded in your word. Not made up things, but actual events, real people who worked and lived for you and often died for you help us to have that courage to face the breakups to break out in every circumstance to rejoice to give you honor and glory to trust that you know what you're doing and to break into that work however tough it is that you've called us to do so i hear the good news oh we thank you lord that you love us so much, that you give us the gift of your Holy Spirit to be within us, to work in us and through us. Help us to honour you in our calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.